reflecting this week and looking forward to what the Lord has for us in the morning and evening service. And I'd just like to take a little bit of time this morning in Exodus chapter 4 to address something that I think is very important for us to consider when we think about the work of missions. Of course, if you're familiar with Exodus chapter 3 and 4, you know the occasion is that Moses, who will become a great man of God, but at this point is just an obscure shepherd, he is going about his business, his daily life, and he sees that bush that is burning and yet is not burnt up. And he went over to see what was going on with that bush, and the Lord spoke to him out of the burning bush and revealed to him his purpose and his plan for him. By the way, I believe that Moses already understood that purpose previous to this call, but I believe that Moses had come to the place where he believed he was not usable to God. And he had missed his opportunity to be useful to God because of his impetuousness, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But God called him and revealed to him his purpose. God revealed to him his name. In chapter 3, we find the revelation of the name Jehovah, the proper name of God, which is such an important name of God and reveals to us his character, his nature, then that name is often compounded with different aspects of God's eternal presence with us and how that has an impact on our lives. So Moses heard what God had to say to him, and in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 1, Moses is now answering God. And Moses answered and said, but... So that's our first hint that something is amiss. Whenever God says something to you and the first word out of your mouth is, but, and you're going to contradict what God has just said, you know that there's going to be a problem. So Moses answered and said, but, behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And this conversation continues on through chapter 4. And finally, we know that Moses yields to the purpose of God reluctantly. He goes back to Egypt. And of course, God used him tremendously to deliver the children of Israel with a strong hand, showing the power of God and the ability of God to keep his promises. Now, there's many examples in the Bible of God using people who had thought that they were unusable. Many examples of this. God, in fact, delights in taking what seems like nothing or insignificant or insufficient and multiplying that which seems like nothing 
so that it will be sufficient and then some for his purpose. The truth is, through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we find that what God wants most from us is that we would yield to him that which we have. God is not asking us to make an evaluation of whether we think what we have is enough. He simply is asking us to put it all on the altar and to give it to him. Now consider where Moses was when God called him and how impossible it must have seemed that God was calling him to do this. I believe previously, while he was in Egypt, 40 years before Exodus 3 and 4, Moses had been certain of the call and the purpose of God in his life. Yet he acted in impetuousness, and he took the life of an Egyptian overseer, and because of that, Moses, as far as he was concerned, lost his opportunity to be used of God. Moses had to flee from Egypt And it seems from the scriptural record that he lost all contact with his family and with the people of God who were in Egypt. As far as they were concerned, Moses was dead and gone. And as far as Moses was concerned, his life that he had imagined was over and there was no opportunity for him to fulfill the purpose of God. You know, when we think a lot of times in the biblical record, we read the story of these great heroes of the faith And we're in the habit of reading Exodus 1, 2, 3, 4 in our Bible reading, and we forget that's 80 years of history, 80 years of someone's life. From the birth of Moses and the miraculous events, his failure, his fleeing into the wilderness, and now we come to chapter 3 and 4, he's 80 years old. He's a man who by now must be thinking, There's not really an opportunity for me to be used of the Lord. There's not really an opportunity for me to be able to do much in the service of the Lord. I've already lost my opportunity. For 40 years now, Moses had been an obscure shepherd in the wilderness. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew where he was. There was no significance to Moses at this time except for the fact that God had not forgotten what he was planning to do with Moses. And then the Lord called him to the burning bush. Now, I was reading Exodus 4 the other day in my own Bible reading, and I came across that phrase in verse 2, that question that God asked him, what is that in thine hand? And I was meditating on that question, You know, God could have said anything to Moses. Of course, Moses had given a rebuttal to God. He had given God reasons why he wouldn't be able to go and why he would not be able to do what God told him to do. God could have said absolutely anything or asked any question, but God asked Moses, what is that in thine hand? It was a significant question for Moses. It pointed to a lot of things which we'll talk about this morning, and I believe it's a significant question for each and every one of us to answer as well. And I want you to think with me this morning about the answer to this question, what is that in your hand? What is it in your life that God wants you to surrender to Him? Now, there's three parts to this question 
or three implications to this question. The first one is that God was asking this question, I believe, because he wanted Moses to have some evaluation in his life. Moses needed to take stock of where he was, where he had come from, and where God wanted to take him. You say, what does that have to do with the question that God asked him? What is that in thine hand? Well, the thing that was in Moses' hand, as we saw from the passage, was a shepherd's implement. It's called a rod here in our passage. Other places in the scripture, it could be referred to as a staff. This was a tool that a shepherd would use oftentimes, but not always. This rod would have a curved end to it, which had a function, and it had a long uh, shaft that, that the shepherd would use oftentimes to support himself while he was walking. It was usually made out of a strong sinewy wood because the shepherd would also use it in uh, beating off any predators that might come after the sheep. And so it had to be a strong implement. For Moses, the rod, the shepherd's implement, represented for him his life. It was where he was at 80 years old. You could sum up Moses' life with this rod, this implement, this tool that he held in his hand. And as he was evaluating and answering this question, certainly for Moses, he must have looked at that rod, and to him, it could have been a sign of failure and shame. Because if you recall, Moses had been born into a Jewish family But then just a short time after he was born, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and became a part of the powerful king's family in Egypt. During his first 40 years of life, Moses enjoyed all of the pleasures. He had all the wealth. He had great authority. He had great power. Now, we know from the book of Hebrews that he was willing to set all of that aside and instead to suffer affliction with the people of God. And that is an indication of the faith that he had at that time in his life. But certainly Moses could look back and during that time of his life, Moses would have possessed symbols of his authority. Perhaps he would have even had some sort of a scepter that he could carry. He he certainly would have had clothing that would have denoted him as part of the royal family. Everyone would have known who Moses was, but that was 40 years ago. And now, all he had left, all he had was this rod. All he had was this stick which said about him, you're just a shepherd. You're just a common, ordinary person. And why was it? that he had lost those symbols of his authority? Why was it that he had to step away from that part of his life? Well, it was partly because he had failed in that he had become impetuous and had stepped outside of the will of God, had stepped in front of God before God's timing with his self-will. When Moses looked at this rod, he must have thought, I blew it. My life, as I had imagined it, is over. And I wonder how many folks in the auditorium this morning, within the sound of my voice, have determined long ago 
that you're unusable to God because of some failure in the past. Because of some sin, some misstep, some mistake, and you've passed the verdict on yourself, God never could use somebody like me. And that's where Moses was at. Moses had long ago given up his dreams of being used by the Lord, and now he had this rod. And God brought it to his attention, and he said to Moses, What is that in thine hand? One of the first steps to being used by God is coming to grips with our failure and and giving it to the Lord, trusting Him for His forgiveness and His restoration. So the rod certainly for Moses was a sign of failure and shame. I think second of all, the rod was also a reminder for him of a long wait. He had had to be very patient. What brought him to this place was impatience. And it's ironic that when we act in impetuousness and impatience, God will often put us through the school of waiting. Now Moses had been waiting for 40 years. I think he had come to the place where he was no longer waiting in anticipation. He just figured it was all over. For 40 years, he had been wandering around in the wilderness with these sheep, making sure that they got some food, and his one companion was this rod. The rod was a reminder to him of the lonely times that he spent, of the being out in the desert all alone with the sheep, listening for the wild animals and thinking, well, I wonder what will come of my life. You know, it's an interesting thing when you study the scriptures, and I made reference to this. We tend to read the Bible so quickly that we just assume things happen quickly in people's lives. In the book of Genesis, when you read about the story of Abraham's journey, when God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees until the time that God gave him the son of promise was something like 25 years. It was a long time before God gave him that son. And of course, God only gave him that one son. And it seemed like, how is God's promise going to come true? When, when David was anointed as the king over Israel as a teenage boy, it was a long time before Saul was put to the side and David actually became the king. David, all the while knowing that he was going to become the king because he knew of God's will, he knew of God's choice, but he had to be patient and wait. So often in our zeal and our impetuousness, we want God to hurry up and get with it. Let's get things moving. You'll never find in the Bible where God is in a hurry. In fact, one of the things that's so astounding to me in studying the life of Christ is that though he had just three and a half years with the disciples, you never get the sense reading the Gospels that Jesus is in a hurry or that Jesus is rushed or that he's stressed because of lack of time. You never find that with Jesus. He's always content to be in the right place at the right time knowing that the Father is going to work. This should be the story of our life. We ought to learn to be patient. Oftentimes, young people 
are impatient. They want to hurry up, God. Hurry and show me who I'm going to marry. Hurry and show me my life's purpose. Hurry and show me where I'm going to serve you. Hurry and show me all these things. And God, frankly, is not in a hurry. Moses, now at 80 years old, seems to have learned the lesson. God's not in a hurry. It's a good thing he learned the lesson because God knew he was going to spend 40 more years wandering in the wilderness with a different kind of sheep. And Moses was going to need to be a patient man to lead them in those situations. So the rod was a sign of his failure and shame. The rod was a reminder of the long wait and the need to be patient. The rod also was a reminder to Moses that it was all he had left to support his family. You know, previously, Moses had been a wealthy man. Moses had had everything that he could have ever dreamed or wanted. As a prince of Egypt, his life was easy. He had the riches of this world. But now, at 80 years old, Moses had some sheep in the wilderness. The rod that he carried was a symbol of his, his work, of his occupation, It was a noble occupation. In the scriptures, those who were shepherds, though they were despised by the Egyptians, shepherds have always been honored by God. It's an interesting study when you do in the scriptures. If you study throughout the scriptures, you'll find that many of God's people were shepherds. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all need to get sheep in order to please the Lord, but there is a picture that is there. Now, for Moses... This was his occupation, and this is how he cared for his family and provided food for them. It was a simple life. We would call it a subsistence type of a job. Uh, In other words, producing just enough to meet the bare needs of his family. He probably was not a terribly wealthy man. And even if he was, it was a hard life. It It was hard work that he was doing taking care of these sheep. Are any of you in your 80s care to be traipsing around the wilderness with a staff and sleeping on the ground, taking care of sheep every day? This is what Moses was doing. And when God asked him, what is that in thine hand? It was an indication that something was about to change. But for Moses, this was something that he was familiar with. It was something that gave him enough. And we're going to see in just a moment, God is going to ask him to surrender that. For Moses, the answer to the question, what is that in thine hand? The rod represented for him a simple, ordinary life. At this point, Moses is just an average shepherd in the desert. If he did not ever fulfill the purpose of God, we would never have known who Moses was. You see, there have been thousands and thousands and thousands of shepherds like Moses through the generations of time, and we will never know their names. We have no idea who they are or what their significance of life was. That's who Moses was when God found him And for Moses, when he looked at this rod, it simply represented to him, I'm an average guy. I'm a normal person out here in the wilderness. I could blend into the crowd. If Moses was in a place where there were other people in the way that he dressed, in the staff that he carried, 
everybody would have just assumed, well, he's like everybody else. He blends right in. Maybe this morning you feel quite ordinary. You think, well, my life is very simple. I'm, I'm an average kind of a person. In fact, sometimes I've had people tell me, you know, I could never... I could never really serve the Lord. I just don't see myself being up in front of people. Well, that's okay. You do know there's other ways to serve the Lord than being up in front of people. There's lots of things that can be done in the service of the Lord, but I also want to assure you that God has a way of changing your abilities. Interestingly enough, this is also one of the the things that Moses complained about to God and argued with him about. He said... I'm not a good talker. I, I just can't do that. You know, we're, we're talking about letting your light so shine this year. And, and some of you are struggling with in your life. I could never witness to somebody because I just, I'm not that kind of a person. I don't have the gift of gab. I don't, I don't feel comfortable presenting the gospel and talking to people that I don't know. And you just assume, well, that's for other people, not for me, because I'm not wired that way. That's a lot of what Moses was trying to say. Can God really use what Moses has to offer? Can God take a simple, ordinary life, an average shepherd's staff, and can God use it to do anything at all? This is a question that many of us may ask in our lives Can God really use what I have to offer? I'm nobody special. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of talents. I'm just an average person. I I have an average education. I I have an average living, an average family. I drive an average car, live in an average neighborhood. I mean, there's nothing special about me. How could God use me? It's an interesting question. Now, what God was asking Moses when he asked him this question, what is that in thine hand? I believe he wanted Moses to reckon with who he was and where he was. And he wanted him to see, okay, Moses, this is where you are. But this is an amazing truth about our God. When we have an encounter with God, he never intends to leave us where we are. He intends to take us somewhere else. He's intending for us to follow him. This rod wasn't much, but it was what the Lord wanted to touch and use for his glory. I think about when, whenever we go on family hikes, my kids, my boys especially, they always have to find a stick. And the stick, you know, it's going to be used for who knows what, If we're not watching, maybe for whacking one another. (laughs) Certainly for fending off any wild animals that we might see. It usually gets dragged behind them. Or when they're little, they push it in front of them. And I say, what are you doing? Drag it behind you. Don't push it in front of you. It's going to end up going through your belly button. If it gets hung up, oh, okay. You know, so they're going to find a stick. And the stick... You know, there's a hunt for the stick. You've got to find the right one. It's got to be the right thickness and the right height. And it's got to be the right kind of wood. And, and they'll work on that. And if we're on a camping trip, they might just find that stick and keep it with them the whole time. It's an amazing thing. A little stick like that can become something significant to a person. But 
You know, if you just saw the stick laying there in the woods, you would think it's a stick. There's thousands of them. There's millions of them. There's sticks everywhere in the woods. What's the big deal? And I think this is a picture of Moses, a picture of where Moses had come to in his life where he felt like, I failed God. I I don't see any way that I could possibly fulfill his purpose in my life. I don't see a path forward. I guess I'm just going to be a shepherd for the rest of my life. And in fact, he is going to be a shepherd for the rest of his life. But God is going to change the kind of sheep that he is leading. So there's an evaluation that is necessary. I want to challenge you this morning to think about where you are. What are the excuses that you have offered for why you can't? Why you couldn't serve the Lord? Maybe you've said, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not educated enough. I have some failure in my past. I haven't been perfect. I don't come from an important family. I'm not well known. I'm not eloquent You think about the things that you have offered to God in your heart for why you can't serve Him. There's a need to have some evaluation. But the second thing that we see in Exodus chapter 4 is that there is a need after evaluation for submission. So God asked him the question, what is that in thine hand? And, And Moses answered simply, a rod. And then the Lord said to him in verse 3, cast it on the ground. Cast it on the ground. Now, the word cast means to throw away. It has the idea of using some energy. It's not just, you know, chucking it over to the side. It's the idea of throwing it down on the ground. So the Lord says, I want you to cast it down. So in the midst of Moses receiving this command, as he's questioning God's purpose and God's direction for his life, Moses wants to know, How are the people going to believe me? What proof do I have that I've heard from the Lord? How are people going to know that I'm different than anyone else who says they've heard from God? And God's answer to him was that rod, which to you is a symbol of your failure and being average of where your life is right now. Moses cast it on the ground. Now, of course, we see in the passage that when he cast it on the ground, something special happened, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But it was a strange command. Why would you take a rod and cast it on the ground? Why would you throw it down? Maybe Moses was asking himself and and thinking, what is God up to? Why would God want me to do that? I, I don't understand why God would want me to cast this on the ground. It's interesting when you study the scriptures, many times God's purpose is revealed in the most simple commands, simple things. And we might ask the question, why? What's the big deal, God? Why do I have to do that? I don't understand why that's so important. Simple obedience to the command of God opens the door for God to take our life and use it for his glory. What God wanted from Moses was for Moses simply to obey him. Now, we find no indication in the passage that Moses questioned, that Moses argued with God, that Moses opined about whether he should or should not throw the rod on the ground. We find that he almost reflexively 
obeyed God. God said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground. That's what the scripture says. That's the kind of obedience that we ought to cultivate towards God. When you sense that God wants you to obey him in an area, cultivate the habit of doing what God has led you to do immediately. When you read something in the scriptures and it makes sense and you see from the context and the meaning that God clearly wants you to do something, don't argue with God. Just do what he says. A key quality for the Christian life is the quality of submission. Much of the journey of sanctification is a journey of learning submission to the will of God. Learning to obey God in things that we may or may not understand. So often in our lives, we must learn, and, and I, I hesitate to say it that way. You know, the scripture says that we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. And I think in many Christians' minds, they have this idea, there will be this moment where I will surrender everything to God, and from then on out, it's going to be easy, and I'll never have any struggles. That's not the case. As a Christian, we're going to need to learn a daily submission to the Lord in the, in the real matters of life. So over and over and over again, I'm going to need to say, yes, Lord, and no to myself. No matter how difficult it may be, I need to learn to submit myself to the Lord. I need to learn to yield my body to him as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants us to learn submission to him. If God puts his finger on something in my life and says, I want that, my answer should be, yes, sir. Yes, Lord, right away. No matter what that thing is, I ought to submit to him. So Moses is learning submission. Now, what you'll notice is that when God commands him, cast it on the ground, when Moses casts the rod on the ground, he relinquishes control of that rod. The rod is no longer in his hand. The moment the rod leaves his hand, Moses can no longer control what the rod is going to do. And this really reminds us of something that we often struggle with, and that is the issue of control. We wrestle many times with wanting to keep control of our own lives. It's like when I was learning to drive, I I took driver's education here in the local school district. And as part of the driver's education, you had to spend a certain number of hours in a vehicle with a driving instructor who would drive with you and and teach you what to do, the rules of the road, and all that sort of thing. Some of you may have been through some of that sort of thing. Now, by the time that I went through driver's education, I I had already been driving for a while. In fact, I already had my license. The only reason I did driver's education was because it got me 10% off on my insurance, and I was broke. And my insurance was sky high. And I thought, that's a lot of money. So I'm going to take driver's education. So I was driving with the driving instructor. And I'll never forget it. We were, we were out driving. And I had my license. I know how to drive. And, and I came to an intersection. And I was about ready to make a right turn onto this road. 
And I went to hit the gas, and the driving instructor had his own set of brakes in the passenger seat. And I'll never forget, he slammed on the brakes. And he said, you can't go right now. You would have pulled right in the path of that oncoming car. And I remember at the time, I was not very happy. I was kind of upset, actually, because I thought, I'm driving. Who do you think you are? By the way, how many of you would like for your spouse to have their own brakes on the passenger side? That cuts against the grain of our desire for control, doesn't it? Now, I had to admit later, after I thought about it, the driving instructor was right. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. But many of us don't want to hand over the control of our life to the Lord. As long as the Lord lets me do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, I'm fine to say, yes, he's the Lord. But the moment that he says, no, that's not the way. I want you to go this way. That's when we start to struggle. And God wants us to learn to come to the place of submission. So Moses had to cast that rod on the ground He released control of that rod, not knowing what God was going to do. He had no idea what God was going to do with that rod. Little could he know what God was going to take that rod and do in the future. He was asked simply, cast it on the ground. A simple command, simple obedience yielded an incredible result in his life. Listen to me carefully. You will never know what God can do with your life until you come to the point of surrender. God does not offer his will to you ahead of time for your evaluation to decide whether or you like it or not or whether you're going to do it or not. God always works in this way. He simply speaks with the expectation that you will obey. And if you obey, that opens the door for you to find out what God has in mind. But you're probably not going to figure out what God has in mind by guessing about the simple command of God. So there's an evaluation that took place. There's submission in Moses' life that was so important. And then we find in this passage that the result of this submission is transformation. We see in this verse, verse number four, or verse number three, that when he obeyed God and cast it on the ground, it became a serpent. Now, I don't know about you. I personally am not interested in rods that become serpents. It's not my interest. I remember when we had uh, vacation Bible school here one year when my daughter Margaret was little, and we... I don't know who approved this, but somebody brought in this reptile person with these creatures, and she had this massive albino python, I think it was. It was like 16 feet long. It was a huge snake. And I remember my daughter getting down there and like, oh, snake, and I'm like, get away from that snake. could eat you. Thankfully, it wasn't hungry. I'm not interested in snakes. Maybe you are. Maybe, maybe you like snakes. I wouldn't be that thrilled if God asked me to cast something on the ground and it became a serpent. 
But God had something more in mind than just making snakes out of sticks. You see, the miracle that God did in this, in this case was so remarkable that it was for the purpose of getting Moses' attention. God is showing Moses, I can take something that looks ordinary and I can make it quite extraordinary. Moses, you feel as if your life is a failure, as if there's nothing more that you have to offer. But don't forget that I'm the God who brings life out of nothing, who spoke the worlds into existence. I'm the God who can make a serpent out of a stick. And then God said to him, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Now, I don't know a lot about snakes, but I know that you're not supposed to grab them by the tail. Not the best way unless you want to get bit. But Moses reached down and he obeyed the Lord and he took it by the tail and the rod again appeared in his hand. The snake was gone and the rod was there in his hand. God is able to take something and make it into something. What's amazing to me is that Moses continued arguing with God after this about how he wasn't able to speak and and all this sort of thing. And and God continued reasoning with him. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? That That he doesn't respond to us like we would respond to us if we were God? The Lord was so patient with him. And what God was showing Moses... Look at verse 5, the reason for this, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. So this rod, the shepherd's staff that Moses carried, which was to him a symbol of his current life, perhaps a symbol of his failure, a symbol of the fact that he could never really do what he had hoped to do for God, God says that ordinary rod is actually going to be something that you are going to carry with you, and that is going to become the symbol to the nation of Israel that you are my man, that you have heard from me, that you know me, and that I am with you. God took something that was quite ordinary, very common, and he made it into something that was special. This rod would become the symbol of God's authority and power working through Moses. Real quickly, you can jot these verses down. A little later in Exodus 4, verse 17, we find that God instructed Moses, "'Thou shalt take this rod,' the very same rod, "'in thine hand,' wherewith thou shalt do signs. So God says, don't forget your rod, Moses, because you're going to take that rod and you're going to do miracles with it. In verse 20 of Exodus chapter 4, this rod is called the rod of God. It is referred to as the rod of God because it's the symbol of God's power and God's authority upon Moses' life. Later... Moses would carry this rod when he stood before Pharaoh. Now, it was actually his brother's rod, Aaron's rod, that was cast on the ground and became the serpent. It was Aaron's rod, which was used to touch the water and turn the rivers into blood. 
But somewhere about in the middle point of the miracles, the, the ten plagues there in Egypt, it switches from Aaron's rod to Moses' rod. And Moses begins using that rod and speaking in the name of the Lord, and the judgments come upon the nation of Egypt. After they are excused from the nation of Egypt and go out into the wilderness and the armies follow after them, in Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 16, we find that this rod was used to divide the Red Sea at the command of God. It was this very same rod. A little bit later in Exodus chapter 17, God would command Moses when the people were thirsty to take this rod and smite the rock. And when he smote the rock, water would come gushing out for the people to be able to drink. A little bit later in Exodus chapter 17, this rod would be held up in the air by Moses. And you may remember the story how Aaron and Hur had to come up on either side of him to hold that rod up because whenever the rod was up in the air, they were victorious over the Amalekites who were trying to to conquer them. And whenever the, the rod would fall down, the Amalekites would prevail. And so the rod had to be held up for the entire time. And as the rod was held up, God gave victory to the children of Israel over the Amalekites. Now, there's a lot of traditions and ideas about what happened to Moses' rod and where it went after all of this. The Bible doesn't tell us about any of that. And most of those types of stories are just reminders of how superstitious people are. You see, it wasn't the rod that had the power. It was God who had the power. The rod was simply a symbol of God working through Moses. It's a reminder of God's ability to work through simple, average, ordinary men. Even men who have failed. Even men who haven't lived up to their potential. Even men who haven't done everything that they knew they should have done. God delights in using that which is ordinary God delights in using that which to us seems insignificant and using it in a powerful way, and he does that so that he will get the glory. Now, I want to make a quick application or two before we conclude this morning. You may be thinking this morning about some area of your life. Maybe you're asking yourself the question, how could I be used of the Lord? Maybe you feel in your life, that your family situation, your past, your current struggles, the difficulties that you have grappling with sin, that for some reason God would be unable to use you. This morning, I encourage you to evaluate where you are and evaluate what God wants in your life and realize that God specializes in taking that which is broken and bringing wholeness. He takes that which seems to be unusable and he uses it for his glory. And this morning I encourage you to submit yourself to him. You may say, I don't have many talents. I'm not an important person in the church. I, I, I don't have much to offer. Then please just offer what you have. And trust the Lord to use you as he will.
The second application this morning is, you know, we're getting ready to take up our faith promise commitments. And some of you may have this idea, well, I can't give much. I, I, I really can't contribute much of anything. I, I don't know how my little bit is going to make a difference. And I would just encourage you to be faithful in giving that which you can and trusting God to multiply it and use it for his glory. You know, every year I try to encourage our young people to participate in Faith Promise. I think it's a good thing for young people to take the little bit that they have. And some of you young people are like, I don't work a job. I don't have any money. Yeah, but it's a wonderful thing to trust God to provide and to make a commitment and to pray and to to see God provide for that. And you say, that's only a dollar or two. It's not that big of a deal. You know, it rejoices my heart when we get these commitment cards back and I see commitments on there like 50 cents a week, a dollar a month. Don't disdain those kind of commitments. That's somebody who's giving what they can and trusting the Lord to use it. That is significant. So I encourage you, wherever you're at, ask yourself, what is this in my hand? What does God want me to do with it? How does God want me to use this for His glory? And I think we'll all step back if we'll do that and be surprised at how little is much when God is in it. Isn't it a wonderful thing how God wants to use our lives? Praise God for His ability to do this.